We got a hug fest going on over here. That's good. That's good. Love it. Love it. Well, good morning. Welcome again to Marymount. We're especially grateful for the friends from New Mission who are here this morning. Let's give them a warm welcome. We are having a ball celebrating Black History Month and uh, worshiping together at each other's churches this month. And uh, I know we've got a bunch over there this morning. That's why some of this is empty here. Uh, We've got uh, also visitors over there. If you haven't done that, I encourage you next Sunday, go to their 8 o'clock service or their 1045 instead of coming here and you'll you'll be blessed. Uh, I also want to have a shout out to a very special couple who celebrated 56 years of marriage yesterday, Burr and Terry Robinson. You guys want to stand? Thank you for being a wonderful picture of Jesus and the church uh, for us to emulate and follow. We are grateful. We are grateful. So tomorrow, uh, folks, by the way, is our day to pray. So we're praying in the Cincinnati, the Greater Cincinnati Prayer Canopy, and we have the third Monday of every month. That's tomorrow. If you would like to join in and pray, there are prayer guides at the Connect Desk. And just let Marianne know uh, if you want to join in, and she will, uh, she will add you to the list. We have about 63 people in the church uh, praying uh, each month, so... Uh, and we are, we've been on 24 hours since it started, since October. So um, that is changing the temperature of our city. Uh, and things are happening and prayers are being answered. And we're asking God to come and have his way in Cincinnati. So uh, keep praying and uh, uh, be encouraged tomorrow. So I'm going to dive into the message this morning. This is week two of our series called Idols, and uh, Jamie did an awesome introduction to that last week. If you haven't heard it, it's on the website. I encourage you to listen in. Uh, It will help you make sense of all of what we're going to do from here on in. Uh, Today is week two, and I'm going to dive into the specific idol of comfort. On your uh, handout that you received, uh, you've got on the inside here, uh, 20 suggested questions that you, uh, or statements that you can use to help you diagnose whether you are uh, falling prey to one of the many idols that the enemy would love to have us dive into. And today we're going to deal with comfort, and that includes uh, things like pleasure, uh, entertainment, sex, uh, food, drink. We're going to get into all of that. Uh, today. We're coming out of 1 John for this series, and I encourage you to read the letter of 1 John. It's a short letter, um, and you can read it in about 20 minutes. I encourage you to read that each week. And uh, we started actually on the last verse, where John says, uh, little children, keep yourself from idols. And um, in the New Living Translation, it helps us define uh, what an idol is. And um, you put that up there. It's Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So our goal here, using the handout, uh, using the um, Sunday messages, 
using the resources of your small groups uh, is to identify the current idols in our hearts, to reject these counterfeit gods, to turn to Messiah Jesus, who is the great physician uh, for healing and uh, freedom. So we are not going to be looking into or engendering shame or guilt or fear or condemnation, but this is a journey we're taking together uh, in Christ to uh, seek and uh, bring full freedom to each and every one of us as God has intended to do that, to have us live the abundant life that he has promised. All right, now, last week's sermon, uh, one word for last week's sermon, bracing. It was kind of like this. It was kind of like this. It was like a polar bear plunge into the reality of our hearts, the reality of the enemy's attempt to, uh, uh, to control us. And uh, I, don't, I don't want you to think of anything more than how good is it that God continually comes to us with truth and grace and wakes us up and brings us in to a deeper walk with him. That's his goodness to wake us up. So today, as we tackle the comfort idol, I'm going to give us a five-point approach. This is the pastoral approach to dealing with idols. And the title of my message is, In Jesus, You Are Destined to Win. In Jesus, You Are Destined to Win over all the work of the enemy, over all the idols, over all the uh, obstacles to a life with Jesus. You are destined in him to win. So we have five, and I've started them all with the letter A so you can remember them. We want to anticipate the result at the end of the day of what Jesus is doing. We want to keep that, keep the end in mind at the beginning. We want to accept our current reality. Truth is good, facts are friendly. We want to accept the current reality of where we are. Uh, We are all works in progress, as David pointed out to us this morning. Then we're going to assess the idol. Today we're going to assess the comfort idol. We're going to take a look at what the Word says about that, and we're going to see how that rings uh, and is true in our life, and how, uh, uh, or if it's not true. And then we're going to address the idol through the good news of the gospel, the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which gives us resurrection power to overcome these idols. And then we're going to remind ourselves to abide in Jesus, to live for him. So, Father, I just lift up this morning's uh, message in your word. I ask, Lord, that you would uh, remind us, on the one hand, that idolatry is a very serious issue for you because you are a holy God, but also to remind us that you have made a way, that you, uh, Lord, have predestined us to be conformed to the image of your Son. So, Lord, we stand in that truth, and we ask you today to speak to each and every one of us Uh, On all the details of your word, Lord, I ask that you would use it to do surgery any way you want today, in Jesus' name. And the church agreed and said, all right, so let's start with the end in mind. Jesus 
is going to make you holy. Jesus is going to make you holy. Your holiness, your righteousness is given to you by Jesus. And he has promised to finish the job. He's not just trying to get you into heaven. He's actually trying to get heaven into you. Let me say that again. He's not just trying... This isn't about finding a path to heaven. This is about having heaven in us so much that we are prepared to live eternally with Christ. Now let's take a look at Peter. Peter got this brilliantly on the Sea of Galilee. You see, Jesus, the rabbi, had said, follow me. What that meant is is not, follow me, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories so you can know the Bible, but it's, follow me, so you can be like me. It's not the Hellenistic approach to discipleship, which seeks to communicate information. It is the Hebraic approach to discipleship, where the rabbi says, I believe you can be like me. And Peter really believed this. So on the Sea of Galilee... Jesus is walking on the water. Peter says, call me to yourself. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter actually walks on the water. We can't forget that. Now, a few steps into the mission, he started looking around and started doubting whether this was the right place for him. And Jesus picks him up out of the water and says to him, Why did you doubt? Now this was not a comment on Peter's faith in terms of his salvation faith. This was a comment on Peter's faith. Why did you doubt that I could make you like me? And Peter's life continued. He, up at Caesarea Philippi, he says, you're the son of God. And then shortly after... Jesus calls Peter Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Peter is a work in progress. Get behind me, Satan. Peter was trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. And then later, on the night he was betrayed, Peter denies Jesus three times. And then a little bit later, he's, he's off eating with the Galatians, and Paul had to come and rebuke him because he wouldn't eat with the Gentile believers. He was still afraid of what people thought. But then finally, as we hear from the end of the Bible, he writes two brilliant letters that fully describe holiness and righteousness and suffering. And Peter has obviously become very much like Jesus. And then we know from history that he was crucified upside down because he didn't find himself worthy to be crucified right side up. He died in a blaze of glory and strength. And Jesus will have his way with you and me if we will walk with him in faith and stay connected to him. And here's how Paul says it in the letter to the Philippians. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So number one thing, dealing with idols, keep your eyes on the prize. 
Because your destiny as a disciple of Jesus is to become like him and to finish in glory with him. So keep your eyes on the prize. So all of what we're going to do in this series is worth it. Is worth it. And our idols may be attracting us right now, but Jesus is better. And Jesus has a better plan. Step two is accept current reality. You and I are prone to wander. The closer we get to God, the more sin is revealed in our lives. Repentance and confession are not dirty words. They're actual gifts. They're actual gifts from God that allow us to get right with him by agreeing with him and turning from the things that are not of him. We need community, and the community is so helpful to let us know our blind spots. Jamie hit this hard last week. If you want to crush an idol, you're going to have way more success in community because it is our community, our small group, our spouse, um, our men's group, our women's group that can see our blind spots and can bring us into uh, the light of the truth. We learned last week about emotions being great diagnostic tools. If you are exploding with anger, or you are shuddering with fear, or you are filled with shame, then that is an indication that something in your life that is an idol is being threatened, or being threatened to be exposed. And all of these things, uh, we want to be fearless with the facts. And we, as I said earlier, we reject shame and condemnation because this is a process of making us more like Christ. It is a process that involves the Father lovingly walking with us and saying, son, daughter, that's not how I see you. This is how I see you. And the Holy Spirit giving us the power. So we want to avoid two extremes as we look at reality, as we accept reality. We want to avoid the extreme of complacency and we want to avoid the extreme of worry. Okay, both of those are sin. So on the complacency, I've got Proverbs 30, verse 12. There are those that are clean in their own eyes but are not washed of their filth. There are many who have a superficial understanding of what it means to follow Christ and there are others who literally think that they're fine. They're good people. And this is deadly. This is deadly because it denies the holiness of God. Worry, you've, we just studied the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says not to worry. But where we want to be is in the middle here where Romans 12.3 is. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. This is a community exercise. Each of us walking in community to see ourselves soberly. C.S. Lewis says this, Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That's, that's what we're prone to. That's what we are chronically good at, taking good things, 
right? Taking good things and then making them idols, replacing God with them. So the second point about accepting reality, let me summarize it this way. You are much worse than you think you are. And God is much better than you think he is. And that is the tension that we live in as we walk in reality and assessing ourselves realistically, uh, but we begin with understanding the truth. That is the, the bedrock where we can begin to process this. So with that, let's step into step three and let's assess the comfort idol. This includes the pursuit of pleasure, the indulging of appetites, the lure of sex, and I also believe it includes the entropy of the comfort zone. The entropy of the comfort zone. And so when you are assessing an idol, most of these begin as good things. Obviously, food is necessary to existence. That's a good thing God provided us. Alcohol, wine, is a a good thing. God provided the fruit of the vine. Jesus made wine. Jesus drank wine. But about 90% of what's in here about wine is a warning. It's a warning uh, to abuse. So, as we assess the idol, we have, I ask the question, well, Lord, when does, it stop, when does it stop being a good thing and when does it start being an idol? And I offer this answer, which I receive from the Spirit, uh, which is this, when it no longer honors me. When it no longer honors me. The first glass of champagne at a wedding where we're giving glory to God for this new couple that's, committing themselves in covenant marriage, that honors God. The third glass of wine may not. So this is the, this is the, uh, this is the word when it no longer honors me. So let's dive into Solomon's pleasure pursuit. This guy did it better than anybody on earth. And uh, so we're going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. The word of God. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. This is literally Epicurean philosophy right here. This is what, this is what uh, Solomon is spouting here. Eat, drink, and be merry. All right? I undertook great projects, verse 4. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me 
In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now in this passage, Solomon is mixing a little bit pleasure and achievement. We're going to come to achievement a little bit later on in the series. But I want to zero in on the pleasure part and just look at the list of food, drink, entertainment, big houses, big bank accounts, herds and flocks, stuffed stuffed food cupboards, uh, so to speak. So feasting, everything. And he built himself houses. You know, his house took him 13 years to build. His, his building of the temple took only seven. So his house took twice as long to build as the temple. So you can imagine what he was pleasuring himself with. This is food, alcohol, entertainment, sex. It doesn't say in that passage, but in other passages it says he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, 700 wives, even saying you could cut the wedding ceremony down to five or six days from the normal seven to ten days, he probably spent somewhere in excess of ten years getting married. All right? He... He only lived about 70. He spent 10 getting married. Uh, not to mention the 300 concubines. So, we know that Solomon was deep into idolatry. We know that because eventually he started worshipping his wife's gods. But he was already worshipping lots of other stuff before then. And it was the path that he was on, Solomon did not embody his own wisdom. Because in the next chapter of Ecclesiastes, he says this, he, referring to God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Here in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon knows that the human heart has a donut hole called eternity, right in the middle here. It's a donut hole called eternity. And Solomon is stuffing parks and recreation and food and beverage and garden and living and housing and everything in there. Uh, And he is not achieving any satisfaction. Everything was meaningless. So we don't need to repeat this experiment. It's already been done for us better than anybody who's ever done it. And yet, that's precisely what I did. And I believe that's precisely what all of us do to some extent is we, we pursue this, this meaningless journey. Now, let's go over to the second text I wanted to look at today. This is the text of the senseless young man as he is lured by the adulterous woman. And by the way, uh, you can see other scriptures where it's the man luring the woman. So uh, just so we get that straight. But 
let me just read this to you. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apples of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading. As the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner, she lurks. In our modern-day translation, we might say, behind every click or every magazine cover, she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love until morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home until full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Ooh. What do we see here? We see uh, a, a youth without sense wandering alone at twilight, no community, taken captive by false flattery, uh, covered in false religion, the vows and the offerings and all that, uh, a false definition of love, and the lie that no one will know. No one will know. Now these are the things that lead to character destruction, and as the word says, to death. But these are the very same things that we face today with things like many movies, many romance novels, many bits of pornography, and even filled in social media. These themes uh, are repeated. And uh, this is the young man who's alone, and he is like an ox being gored. It's destruction. So we see in these two passages this, 
this idea of pursuing pleasure, of pursuing uh, comfort, of pursuing medication uh, for a tough day in all of these different aspects of the comfort idol and the lure of uh, costless sex outside of the covenant bond of marriage. There's one last aspect of the comfort idol which we can see in a number of different kings of Israel, but it is the comfort zone, staying in the comfort zone. This is the place where we avoid challenge. This is the place where we avoid risk. It's the place where we uh, talk ourselves out of obeying what we know to be true. Uh, This is the place where we are unwilling to fast or to serve or to give sacrificially because it disrupts our comfort. It disrupts our schedule. It disrupts our routine. Ultimately, the comfort idol is being afraid to trust God with difficulty and with the unknown. That's what the comfort idol does. It lures us and it enslaves us to our appetites and it robs us of the thrill of the abundant life that is truly dependent on God. That is, that is what this idol is all about. So how do we address this idol with the gospel? So we're going to come back to 1 John. 1 John is a treasure of wisdom on how to deal with this. I just want to pick two passages out of 1 John, both of them dealing with the power of God to deal with idols. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, John says this, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Hear this now. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So Jesus' entire reason for coming was to destroy these demonic idols that are part and parcel of our lives. So we've got Jesus on mission. And check this out. You, in chapter 4, verse 4, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, all of the temptations and sin, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So we we come into addressing an idol, understanding that the power of Jesus, the goal of Jesus is to destroy the work of the enemy, and the power of Jesus who is in us is greater than the power of the enemy who's in the world. So this is the this is the heart of defeating an addiction. This is the heart of Alcoholics Anonymous, is that the power of Jesus is greater than the addiction to alcohol. And it's true for every other addiction, every other form of wrestling free from idols that have hold of us. And so we're going to look again at the gospel. You have that on the back of your handout that you received this morning.
And we uh, see here in this little chart uh, the three circles. We're talking to somebody and they mention any kind of idolatry or brokenness. We can start over there and say, well, can I show you a picture that's really helped me understand this problem that we all face? And we can draw that circle over there, brokenness, on a napkin. And then we can squiggly up to these idols because these are the things that we use to try to get out of brokenness. To try to get out of a horrible day at the office, we will have a drink to take the edge off. Then two, then three. And then the next morning we feel even worse. So these are all loops that lead to more and more and more brokenness because it's us in our own human uh, frailty and in our our idolatry trying to get ourselves out of brokenness. And what God tells us to do is that, that he's made a plan for this. He's sent Jesus to earth to become one of us, to the cross, and then raised him from the dead to say sin has been defeated. Idolatry has been defeated. So we repent, we confess, we bring our idolatry into the light with, within our community. This is not a private exercise, but it, is, it, it needs to begin in private, but it needs to include our community. And when we looked at this list, we've got... Mary Hannah and I have got lots of them that we are dealing with and talking about. We're bringing them into the light. And then as we grasp the gospel, we begin to recover and pursue the kingdom, the things that, the way things were at the beginning, the way things should be, shalom, everything in its place. And how do we get that? How do we recover and pursue? Well, number one, we get in community. Number two, we take decisive action. We cut up our credit cards. That's a decisive action. We decide we're going to pursue God's truth so we might memorize some truth, like man does not live on bread alone. That was a great verse for me to overcome my food problems. Uh, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them cannot be wise. If I want to be wise, then I have to... That truth in my head, that truth in my heart helps me defeat these idols. And then, ultimately, with the kingdom, we have a vision of where I started this morning, to be like Jesus. To love like Jesus, to live like Jesus, in the presence of Jesus... And so, this is the power to live and love like him. So in 1 John chapter 2, he says it this way, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know we have come to know him if we keep his commands, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live 
as Jesus did. And that is the picture. That is the diagnostic. That is the picture. And so in the past 25 years since I've been following Christ, I just want to give a testimony of God's power because uh, food, idol, I was a glutton. Food was an idol. I weighed about 60 pounds more than I weigh now. Uh, Alcohol, I was consistently every week drunk. Entertainment or escape, we didn't have screens in those days, uh, but we had uh, all kinds of distraction on television, and I was not present with my wife or my kids. And sex, that is full-blown sexual addiction for years, years and years and years and years. And God gave me words like, man does not live on bread alone. You can't be wise if you're messing around with alcohol. Uh, You don't need to escape. Your kids are a treasure. Enjoy your kids. Uh, I began to learn in Christ fasting, which broke the power of food and drink over my life. And in the sexual area, God gave me a vision from Hebrews 13.3 to keep the marriage bed undefiled. And that was like a burning white light in my heart. A burning white light to recover what God had designed me to have. And I just testify that this constant exchange between our junk and his gospel, his truth, his righteousness, is the way to overcome idolatry. This is the, this is the path. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. It's exchange and believe. It's repent and believe and pursue and recover. This constant exchange. And let me just tell you something that, that really helps me fight the fight every day. And there are more idols in this series that I'm plenty challenged with right now. So I'm going to come to those. But this I want us to remember. It's a quote from Jerry Bridges, the, disip- the Discipline of Grace. Look at this. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. So this is where we live, right in between here. Right in between here. No matter how bad it gets, the grace of God, the exchange is available. And no matter how good it gets, do not get cocky. Because you are just a few bad decisions away from trouble. And you need grace. So we live and we fight the fight every day in this zone of grace where the spirit overcomes the flesh. And that leads us and is part and parcel of the last point, which is abiding in Jesus, living for him. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
We are living a substituted life. We are living the life that Jesus would live if he were us by substituting our flesh for his spirit. And then our hands, our feet, our eyes, our ears, our mouth become instruments of Jesus. And we walk in that. That is the vision of how we substitute the flesh and live in the spirit so that we become the the human beings that God designed, that God redeemed on the cross. We become those. And that looks like a life poured out for the kingdom of God. In Matthew 16, Mark 8, Luke 9, this is a pretty important saying. Jesus says, if you try to save your life, if you live in comfort, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will save it. That means serve. That means fast. That means give. That means risk. That means being bold. That means outward. That means an instrument of the king. All in, as we battle this idol of comfort, we learn to live and love in the presence of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, he says it this way, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died, one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we do not belong. We belong to him. We're not our own. We were purchased for a price. And we live for him. And that means whether you're you're new here and you've never given your life to Christ, this is, this is what it is. It is substituting his righteousness, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension. It's substituting that for your trash and getting all of that instead and living for him. If you're here and you've never done that, then do that this morning. Do that this morning. We'll have prayer teams up here in a minute. And we're just going to have a time of reflection, then do that this morning. If you're struggling, and you're a struggling believer, and you've been away, you've been distracted, then you come this morning and you make that exchange. And go get some prayer and leave here with power. Leave here with the Holy Spirit. And if you're mature, but you're not growing, maybe you've you've avoided some of the obvious downsides, but maybe you're stuck in the comfort zone. You haven't shared Jesus with somebody in a long time. You haven't risked in relationship. Then the next thing we do is we go into the the brokenness. You go back right there. So that's us now. Once we start to experience the kingdom, we go into the brokenness. We go back into the fight. The wounded healers healing the wounded. So, I'm just going to close this morning. I'm just going to pray through these five steps, and I'm going to release you. Prayer teams, if you can come on up. If somebody needs prayer, please come for prayer. Father, I thank you that we are destined to win in Christ.
I thank you, Lord, that there is an end result coming of our sanctification and glorification, that you are going to make us perfect. I thank you, Lord, that current reality is our friend. To know where we stand is an important part of growing in Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning to show us what the idol of comfort looks like. And Lord, I thank you for your gospel that we can address it. Lord, that you are here to destroy the enemy's work. And Lord, um, we thank you for your invitation, your command to abide in you. So Father, make us fearless. Let us attack these idols in the power of Christ. Lord, we just reject comfort. We embrace your kingdom. So church, I bless you today to receive the word of God, to receive the the joyful truth, to receive the good news of Jesus and to walk free from the idol of comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. Release you. Have a wonderful week. God bless you and fill you. And the prayer teams will stay here if you need prayer. Have a great week.